than doing. He always picks those high notes, but he's out of town. The basses can't hit those high notes. Proverbs chapter 4 is where we are this morning. And before we get into the preaching, I wanted to make two quick announcements. I do appreciate Edward saying happy birthday to Emerson. So I hope you will wish her a happy birthday as well. I was glad I could remind Sherman and Heather of their anniversary today in Sunday school class this morning. I went back there and I told the teens, I taught the teens this morning because Zach and Sarah are out of town. I said to them, and two of them were your kids, I said, when I went in there, I said, I think your dad was going along with the flow, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I knew it was the anniversary today, but Heather was truly like, is it? <laughs> so, uh, at least you can't be in trouble today, friend. We've been praying for them all week. Uh, Heather's father's funeral was Thursday, and so um, glad they're home. I mean, his homeboy, he was a Christian, knew the Lord, and so there's joy in that, though there is sorrow as well. Wanted to make an update prayer request. Please be in prayer for Brother uh, Earl Scott. He's in the hospital, not doing well at all. Uh, there are some, I think, either after the morning service or after the evening service that perhaps will be going down there. Uh, you can see Mike Crawford. They're going to go and pray uh, that God would uh, superintend over him. The doctors uh, are at not a wit's end, but there's great consternation let's use that word perhaps on the part of the doctors as to what the infection is they're literally growing the culture in a dish so that the infectious disease specialist can tell them what infection he has that's how complicated this is so uh, do be in prayer for him uh, as well and then i appreciate chris once a month we're going to put stewardship back in front of you and he drew the short straw of all the deacons to have to be the guy to do it this morning uh, our giving is great and healthy we do have some new ways to give, and so poor Chris, as the church clerk and as a deacon, uh, got the short stick to come up here and explain to you what we are doing with new opportunities or avenues to give. Uh, that is because in the age post-COVID, there are still some folks that watch from home, and they are still very faithful to send in their uh, tithe to the church, their missions giving to the church. And so we wanted on a Sunday morning to make it obvious to those who are here present and then to those that are viewing that there are now other avenues in which you can give. Chris, you did a great job. Next month will be a lot easier. You don't have to get technical, about 2.99%. Uh, that's just embarrassing, isn't it? Nobody cares about that. But Chris got stuck with having to explain that. It's why Zach went out of town today. He didn't want to have to explain it. He said, I'll let, I'll let Chris do that for me. So, Proverbs chapter 4 is where we are this morning. We're continuing in our series, Different Homes. And this morning, we're going to look at the responsibility we have to educate. All day today is Education Sunday. That's why the books and the material and the curriculum are out front. If you are a family and want to take some of that, you are welcome to it. The encouragement is please use it. Don't just take it for taking sake. Some people are like that, right? Hey, there's something free. Here we go. But if you're going to use it, use it. God bless you in that. We want in those families that do homeschool or have curriculum for different reasons. Uh, they want to make that available to families that need it. I'm urging Jessica to get the calculus book. My boys are urging her not to pick up the calculus book this morning. Uh, we're years away from it, but uh, if you want to beat us to it, that would help my kids out immensely. <laughs> immensely. Tonight we will be celebrating our graduates. We have four of them. Uh, we have five. Lauren has already graduated from college and in Washington, D.C., working at her internship there, looking for uh, permanent work in the geopolitical sphere. But for our high school graduates, we will be honoring them and to their parents. If you've got dirt, 
You only got a few hours to get it to me so that I could use it. Bailey's back there saying, please, Dad, do not get any dirt on me. Uh, but uh, if you want to, I got a good one on Chloe, but I can't use it until tonight. Uh, Sherman, if you've got any, Mom gave me one during the, between the Sunday school hours this morning. But uh, let's turn to the Word of God this morning in Proverbs chapter 4. We'll read the first 10 verses of Proverbs chapter 4. Solomon writing says this, Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also, and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee, love her. She shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. Let's open in a word of prayer this morning. Father, I pray that you'll help us to understand our responsibility in educating. I would argue it's a whole home process. It's husbands and wives both learning from you and learning with each other and learning each other. And of course, it is if you have blessed and given as a heritage to the home children that the parents are to teach, educate, instruct their children in righteousness. Help us, I pray this morning, Lord, as we look at these truths and we look at this idea this morning and this evening of our personal home education and tonight our corporate and philosophical approach to education as a church. Bless, I pray in this day, in Jesus' name. Amen. This proverb falls within Solomon defining wisdom's importance. That's really what the book of Proverbs is, practical wisdom on display. Chapters 1 through 8 in Proverbs give specifically the importance of being wise and how we gain wisdom and how wisdom keeps us from trouble in this life. Chapter 4, right in the middle of all of it, specifically is about how a child is to be trained. My pastor years ago, and I have it a note in my Bible and those that I know who went to that church will have this note written in the margin. My pastor used to preach, the man is as the child is trained. Yeah. That's what Proverbs 4 is teaching us. So we could note that the world we live in is a result of a lot of parents doing a little bit of training. Because we live in a mess. We have a culture and a society that seemingly is upside down and outside of logic and reason at all. I would like this morning to study the responsibility of different homes, not in their ethos as we studied last week, not in eternity as we studied the week before that, but rather this morning in their education, how they educate. You homes have a responsibility of making sure your families, husbands, wives, and children, if God is so blessed, that you are able to go out into the world properly knowledgeable on the things of God. In three weeks, we'll look at parenting, so I will try my best this morning, though I cannot promise not to dovetail off into some parenting principles and education. So I will try to stay on the education topic then this morning. 
There are tables, as I noted in the introduction to the preaching this morning, of books that families have, are, are willing to share this morning out on this topic of education uh, in the lobby. Homeschooling is certainly a hotly debated issue, and that is not the point of my preaching today. But I can certainly say it seemingly is a growing and increasing viability in our day and age. Simply put this morning, to educate means to pass knowledge from those who have it to those who both need it and want it. Let me say that again. It is passing knowledge from those who have it to those who both need it and want it. If a kid does not want to learn, guess what? They won't learn. But it is the parent's job to make sure that they find a way to educate that child in the things that it needs to know. It is more than mere academics then. It is the whole of life that we are to be educating on. It is on how to live life effectively, abundantly, and successfully as God himself has ordered it to be. Interestingly, according to verse number one, and in verse number four of this chapter, it falls to men to be the primary instructors in the home. And every man in here just shuddered. <laughs> I cannot teach phonics. I cannot teach English grammar. And I would amen both of those in my house. I cannot either. But it falls to us to be the lead instructor in the home. The Bible says, hear ye children the instruction of a father. And in verse 4, Solomon says, he taught me also and said unto me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I'm going to be very careful how I deal with this. I'll deal with this on Father's Day and get in trouble then. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 that wives who need to learn or understand are to seek knowledge from their husbands if they have a question. If you couple that passage with Proverbs chapter 4 and then Deuteronomy chapter 6, you will find that the primary role of instructor falls to the husbands and to the fathers. It makes it even more important that in our modern-day America, less than half of our homes have a husband or father present in them. Right. It's why we have an education slump. It's not because we suddenly have dumb kids. It's because we, have, we are lacking in instructors. Many good fathers, as I do, and I do it willingly and gladly, Seed the day-to-day -day teaching to our wives. My boys say a hearty amen to that. Although when Jessica's gone every Thursday, that's my day off. If she goes out and runs around during the school year, she always comes home and says, how did you get the boys to finish school so soon? And it's because I rule with an iron fist. And I bribe them heavily. Which mom does not do. She is much more capable than I to teach our kids reading, writing, and arithmetic. It is her skill set. She was an elementary education major in college. She knows the model and mode of teaching. She understands the methodology behind it. This morning, as I understand, some families choose to cede the training to schools, of which there are Christian schools, private schools, and public schools. The key element, however, in educating your kids is to make sure that they receive a clear message 
a message that is distinct in its training that is going to lead them to success spiritually, emotionally, and physically in this one life that they have to live for the glory of God. The conflict for so many today is what private, parochial, even some Christian, and especially public schools teach as core tenets of life go directly against what the Bible teaches itself. We no longer have schools at large that are teaching the three R's and the objective facts that go on with them. Instead, they have become ideological put, uh, ideological instruments that are pushing indoctrination upon our children. This is not to say that there are not good people working in each of these institutions, but the system today is far too much like Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 14. Look down there and read with me. So often we find this is what we are putting our kids into. Verse number 14, the Bible says, enter not. Now, this is within the same context of instruction and wisdom and learning and understanding. Solomon writes to his son, enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. Pass away or move along is that last word. <coughs> Why? Verse 16 gives us the why. For they sleep not, in other words, they have no rest until, except they have done mischief. And their sleep is taken away unless they call some to, what's the word? Fall. There are a whole lot of schools, there are a whole lot of institutions in this world today that want nothing more than to make good Christian children fall into their own mischief. And so it is incumbent upon the parents to make sure that if they've ceded the control to educate the academics to their kids, that they are very strong in educating them on the biblical and moral aspects of life. That's what Proverbs chapter 4 is teaching us this morning. That is the conflict. As different homes, I want you this morning to look with me to Solomon's wisdom on educating your home for God's glory. That process begins with the fact that there must be, number one, instruction. There must be instruction. I have taken up woodworking in our home. Now, I'm not very good at it. Some of you have come over for life stage activities so far, and you've sitting on the chairs that I've made. They have held you up so far. Why? Because I went out and ordered a template. Yes, I cheated. I went out and ordered a template of how I take my little miter saw and how I take my, my uh, saws and cut the thing. You can tell I'm not a real good woodworker. I just rattle off what saw I have. But they take those saws, and in the process, I cut the angle, I cut the curve, I sand and I paint, and then it put them together so that they follow an instruction. If I were left to do it, the chair would not hold anything. In other words, we all know in life the importance of instructions. Jessica laughs when I go into the kitchen to cook. I follow no instructions. And most of the time, it works out okay, but some of the time, it doesn't. She cooks phenomenally well. Why? Because she always follows the instructions. 
She knows exactly how much to measure, how much to put in, how long it's supposed to cook, when to take it out, how long it's got to rest, and when to serve it to you. So as we come to this idea of instruction, we understand the idea or the concept rooted in objective truth. Solomon started where it must begin, with the father giving instruction. Dads, you cannot expect the church to teach your kids right from wrong. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I thought, sorry, Pastor, you were going to say schools. Well, you can't trust them to teach your kids right from wrong either. But far too many families come into a church and they expect that it is our job to make sure their kid gets all the Bible learning they're supposed to get. No, no, that's your job. It falls to the fathers to educate properly their children. You cannot expect the Sunday school teacher to train up your child in the way that he or she should go. It is your responsibility, fathers, husbands, to instruct in your home. God commanded the Israelite fathers to teach their children in Deuteronomy 6. And that command is then commended onto us this morning. Solomon received the instruction of his father and passed it along to his boy. Interestingly enough, the responsibility here is shared in its relationship. The father has to do the job of properly instructing in the right ways, but the son, or in this case we can also say the daughter, has the responsibility to do what? The very first word, look at it in verse number one. Here. Here. That means to pay attention to the process of listening. Now, some of you on a Sunday morning are just here, H-E-R-E. -E. But I would love for you to always be hearing while you're here. That's what this word means. It's the idea of learning from the instruction. This is a principle for success, by the way. It's not a guarantee that's written here. Solomon himself did not turn out too well, did he? Some of you think, well, King Solomon, he wrote this. He's the wisest man that ever lived. You're right. Until he married and betrothed and concubined, whatever that old Bible word means, 999 different women. And the Bible says at the end of all of it, what? Those women turned his heart away from the Lord. He started listening to them instead of still heeding the instruction. By the way, his daddy had a problem with this. Yeah. If you follow the lineage, Rehoboam, his son, had a problem with it. These are principles that if we live by, they set us up for success, but they are not guaranteed because it is a two-party agreement. The father and the mother instruct, and the child has the responsibility of listening, adhering to what they have been instructed in. It does not, however, just because the failure of these men... Take away from the worth of the principle, nor does it diminish the need for instruction. Instruction first, letter A, must be biblically sound. It must resonate from the word of God, not from your opinion. Not from the latest blog that you've read. Not from the conservative or liberal news site that you consume. Opinions do not matter. The biblical validity, the soundness of the statements that you are giving to your children is what is necessary. Do you know why most parents are challenged when their kids come to them and ask the age-old question of, why? It's because they don't know the answer to that. Mom and dad, because I said so has never been a good answer. Now, it may be sufficient in the moment. <laughs> It may be all you've got in the holster, like Barney and the One Bullet, but it's not a sufficient answer. 
Well, why do we do this? I asked a very simple question to the teenagers this morning. And by the way, parents of the kids that were in there, they did a phenomenal job in answering. They may not have felt so, but as their pastor, I felt very encouraged in how they answered it. The question was this. Why be a Christian? <gasps> pastor, you asked my kid that? I mean, they may, they may answer like, I don't want to be a Christian. Listen, they're in this environment. They ought to want to be a Christian. Yeah. If they don't want to be a Christian or if they don't want to have to do something with the church, it's not the church's fault. And it may not even be your fault except for you're not giving the right and proper instruction that is biblically sound. What are we supposed to instruct them in from the Bible? First, I have in there, I think I put in your notes, that which God commands. And of course, in the New Testament, there's a command for kids to honor and obey. Those are universal, found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They carry through kids. Just because of grace, you don't get to disrespect your parents and disobey them. There's commands in the Word of God that men ought not to touch women. Just in case I need to be clear, that means boys and girls shouldn't be touching either. You're an old fuddy-duddy. Mm -hmm. Old is the Bible. The the there's a command in the Bible not to curse. There's commands in the Bible not to steal. There's commands in the Bible not to use filthy language or to take the Lord's name in vain. There's commands in the Bible for us to be honest, to be truth-tellers, that we're to forsake lying. All of these commands and many, many more commands you can find in the black and white words of this book. Not my opinion, but in the black and white words of this book. And if you can't give a why, you come and ask me and Jessica. Not because we have the answer to every why, but we have a book that has an answer to every why. Amen. It is your job, fathers and husbands, to instruct in the biblically sound areas of life. The key is for moms and dads to know where those commands are. And then to teach them graciously, but genuinely, to your children. The second thing I put in your notes there underneath this, this letter A is that those things which God commends. You know, there's some things in the Bible actually God suggests. Now, I've heard preachers say, well, if God suggests it, I ought to do it. It's a good idea, by the way. But he doesn't command you to do certain things. You say, well, Pastor, what are these? I mean, these are the things I would say are not black and white. They're not life or death. These are better and best principles, we might say, in the Word of God. God, for example, commends us to be careful how much money we borrow. You ever thought about that? Did you ever think about that the last time you bought a house or you bought a car? Well, I really want it. What are you teaching your kids? There's biblical sound teaching that doesn't necessarily come from the mouth, but it comes from the life and the action. The Bible teaches us or commends to us that once we've chosen to borrow, we become servants to that lender. There isn't a command not to borrow, but rather a commendation on living free from debt as much as possible for us. There are dozens upon dozens of commendations or commended teachings just in the book of Proverbs alone. God doesn't say you have to do certain things, but he often says you'd be better off if you did these things. He says this, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Yeah. Oh man, how well would our politicians be suited if they understood and lived by that principle? Maybe we should commend that to our children. Well, I'm just going to tell them off. Ooh, mom, dad, don't do that. Get in the car and run down pasture all the way down the road. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Amen. How important a lesson for everyone to learn. 
How about another lesson of commendation in the book of Proverbs? Set a scorner outside the camp, and contention will go with it. The book of Proverbs has about eight different verses on a scorner. A scorner is one who is raised up in knowing what is right, but they have purposefully rejected it because they find it dumb, foolish, or not helpful to them. That's what a scorner is. And God says, hey, take that scorner and set him outside that camp. Guess what goes with him? Contention. Well, I can't do that. You're not commanded to do that. But remember, you're commended to do that. And as long as you keep that scorner in your midst, you're going to have contention. Yeah. You're going to have heartache. You're going to have problems. Biblically sound, we teach our kids that which is commanded, and we teach them what is commended. Here's another commendation from the book of Proverbs. Only by pride cometh contention. Yeah. I just cannot get along with that person, and it's their fault. The book of Proverbs likely disagrees with you. Yeah. It's only your pride that causes the contention with another individual. Here's another one. Slothfulness and laziness is going to be punished ultimately. It leads to nothing. But man, it feels so good right now to be 26-year-olds and eating Cheetos, living in my parents' basement on a couch playing video games. That's what I love! Slothfulness and laziness ultimately go get punished, the book of Proverbs tells us. By the way, our country is feeling that right now. Yeah. We have a bunch of people that don't want to do what is necessary. Yeah. This brings us then to the second layer of instruction. It's not only that it's biblically sound on what is commanded and what is commended, but there is that which is practically substantive in verse or letter B, I should say. He says in verse number two, For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law, or the rules that I've set down for you. They're good for you. Why are they good for you? Because they're practically useful. They have substance to them. I never learned to play the banjo. I desperately would love to learn to play the banjo. God bless Brother Mark Byron. Years ago on my birthday, he and his wife Lisa and I share a birthday together. They gave me a DVD on how to learn the banjo. I have my grandfather's banjo. But no one ever sat down and practically showed me how to play the banjo or teach me the discipline necessary to play the banjo. Why? Probably because at some point my parents realized that area, while it's a good itch to scratch, doesn't have practical substance for your whole life. Do you know that we live in a country that is filling up the lives of kids in their teaching process with a lot of useless junk? Yeah. There's no practically substantive information that is being given to them. That's the problem predominantly with the schools and the school system. It's why during the pandemic, many of our public school families woke up while they were watching their kids' instruction. And they realized that for 170 plus days, their kids were giving nothing but pablum with no requirements set upon them. There was no substance to it. I mean, there are literally school districts that are passing kids to the next grade who have no business passing to the next grade. Why? Because there's no practical substance in the actual education process anymore. By the way, in the practically substantive ways, we teach by what we do, not by what we say. Right. My dad told me I ought to live by the principles of the great and mighty Dave Ramsey, but he doesn't. 
no problem with Abraham, by the way. I'm just simply saying some people make that as their great icon to follow. And the answer is he follows Bible principles, and I'm thankful for that. But if you're not living that way, what are you teaching your kids? That words are empty. They're worthless. Husbands and wives, by the way, do this throughout their marriage. If you've been married for any length of time, you will find that while a husband and wife cannot change their spouse, spouses change over time. It's called the process of practically learning to dwell according to knowledge. 1 Peter chapter 3. What are some things you should pass on to your children, by the way, if you have children in your home? I think you should practically teach them a life skill. It could be anything. We were talking in the youth group this morning. God bless Corbin, man. That kid mows more grass than I can even imagine. The teens are laughing because we were talking about there. Says he's got like 50, 20, 30, 60 jobs. I don't even know how many he's got. Stephanie's back there going, he's got a lot, right? The kid's 16 and he's working that hard. I'm glad for a mom and a dad that have taught him that. Or David, with his broken leg, is probably getting a break from all of that right now, having to help. But teach your kids a practical skill. When I was a kid, my dad turned me loose with a mower first at age 12 on my neighbor's yard. <gasps> 12? You might have cut off your toe. I had nine more. <laughs> Some of you are wondering if I have nine toes right now. <laughs> my dad taught me that sweat and work go hand in glove together. Right. That's why at age 12, Drew now mows over half of our five-acre property. One, because dad's too lazy and don't want to do it anymore. I've achieved the status in life. I don't need to. But I want that kid to understand that sweat equity builds character. Right. I want him to have something practically substantive. He's just waiting for me to teach his other two brothers that. <laughs> teach him a life skill. This summer, Nate and I are going to sit down and learn how to code. I downloaded some kind of application on the computer, and years ago I knew how to do this. But in the modern age that we live in, nobody in the 40s would have ever taught their kid how to write programming code. But I'm going to start with my soon-to-be sixth grader and teach him because it's something he's interested in. I'm going to teach him a practical life skill. Will he go on to do that? I don't know. I remember the guys at the Pentagon that I hired. They obviously had not seen the light of day for many, many a year when I hired them into that position years ago. I don't know that I want my kid to be in that job, but I wanted to have a marketable, practical skill. The problem with most kids today coming out of high school or out of college, they have no practical skills that the world can use. Solomon is here telling us, look, the instructions that I'm giving to you are whole life worthy. They're good in their doctrine. They have dogma that is practical, and they are a law to live by. Don't forsake them because they're good. They're useful. A home is responsible for educating themselves, dad and mom, and their children through instruction. But education also means, number two, that there must be intervention. Intervention In verses 4, 5, and 6, we find that it goes from just mere instruction to the fact that the instructor is getting hands-on with the student. They're getting down in the material of life with them. Education means intervening. That seems to be a foreign concept in more and more of our modern public education spheres. In some places, no students can fail. In other places, work is not graded. And still others, the assessments of right and wrong don't exist within the halls of academia. 
Instead of intervention today in most of the proper or formal education spheres, there is only affirmation. Intervention is vastly different than affirmation. There's nothing wrong to infirm, uh, affirm someone if they're doing what is right or important. But it's important also to not, to not affirm that which is unhealthy. If they're healthy, wholesome, and helpful, then by all means affirm your children. But if they're doing what is wrong, by all means intervene. Yeah, Stop them from doing that which is evil. Well, I can't, Pastor. Listen to yourself. Intervention is necessary for proper and good education. Parents, you must intervene in your child's life. They cannot grow up with you as their friend and friend only. Yeah. They must grow up with you as their parent. Amen. Amen. Parenting means intervention, however much you like it or dislike it. The Bible says in verse 4, he taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words. Listen up, boy. Keep my commandments and live. By the way, disobey my commandments and die. That's the opposite. You go often in the book of Proverbs and you will see Solomon as he goes deeper into the book. He will give you the positive aspect and the negative aspect. You can infer from this statement that if you disobey the clear, biblically sound, practically substantive instructions from a father, if you will disobey those, you will die. It will be to your destruction. He goes on to say, you, you can kind of see him pleading at this point. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Some have asked me, what's the difference between, difference between wisdom and understanding? Wisdom is being able to take the instruction and knowledge you've received and apply it not only to your life, but to everything that you're observing in life. That's wisdom. Understanding is that I have taken the instruction and the knowledge given and, and, that I've been given and I've developed, and I can use it specifically for my life. Wisdom is broader than just understanding. But he's saying, get wisdom. And then you can see he winnows it down. If you don't get the broad category, at least get this narrow one. Get understanding. Make sure you understand how knowledge from instruction applies to your life and experiences. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not. What? Wisdom and instruction. And she shall preserve thee. Love her. And she shall keep or guard you. So I put two things here that I must hasten through as we talk about intervention this morning. First, parents need to recognize the distractions that are in their kids' lives, perhaps even in their own lives. I put the distractions in two broad categories, physical and emotional distractions. We'll deal with the spiritual in just a moment in, in our point B. But here we understand first, I've got three Certainly there's more than this, but these are the three that as a pastor and a parent that I see most notably affect children. Recognize the distractions that come from relationships. Now, I'm going to give my opinion. When I give my opinion, I make it very clear. You are welcome to disagree with my opinion. Do I think that my opinion is Inspired or the direct revelation of God? No, but as I've worked on this message, I've prayed over this one statement more than any other statement that I'm going to make in all of the preaching this morning. Here it is. My opinion, there is no reason 
for a child under 18 to develop non-family exclusive relationships with a single person of the opposite sex. Amen. Yeah. Three of you agree. <laughs> Mentally, emotionally, and most definitely physically. There are too many distractions that rage, and I use that word intentionally because there are some young ears in here. Especially in the body of a young man that takes careful maneuvering on behalf of good parents. Yeah, right. The kids in here just said, oh, I don't like that guy. I'm called to be your pastor, not your pal. And I love you. And I understand the harm that you do one to another. Not meaning to. It's well-intentioned, but... Well-intentioned bomb still goes off. The second category I put in here is games. Board games, but especially video games. I dealt with this two weeks ago in the entertainment message, so I won't dwell deeply here. But video games, especially in the young developing mind, study after study after study after study will tell you that they serve as a major block to brain function and development. So all the kids that aren't dating right now are like, oh, man, now he got us. I wish he'd left us alone and just gone after Johnny or Susie. This is not to say that you cannot have or that they cannot play video games. But it is to say your job as a parent to, is to notice or recognize when that has become a distraction to the principles of life that you're teaching them. When yeah. a kid comes downstairs throwing the controller down, oh, I got shot for the 44th time! <laughs> They've lost biblical perspective. Yeah. Razzle, frazzle, frazzle, razzle! I can't believe this video game! They've lost their temperament. Now, some of the teens that play games online are probably going to say that this afternoon. Razzle, frazzle, frazzle, razzle! Good for you. I'm open to mocking. But when you say it, understand what's going on if you are saying Video games affect the brains of children. Secular, godless psychologists tell us this. Yeah. And yet we Christian parents are putting our head in the sand, but it keeps them quiet all summer long. Go to the library and get a book. Jessica had to go down to the library with the boys the other day and actually ask the librarian to get a list of classics that our library has run out of. The classics they've run out of. Not because people are checking them out, but because they sat on the shelves for so long collecting dust that they just took them off the shelves because nobody wants to read them anymore. You want a list of those books? You're welcome to see her after church. Good luck, man. I didn't tell you that part. <laughs> that was spirit-led. I made work for her. Sorry about that. Another distraction that you must recognize, and this is going to be a big one for me, because I loved them as a kid, but they were my distraction. And that is? Um, you guys can preach this message better than I can. You understand why I'm preaching it, though? I'm going to be careful, but the statistical odds of a young person making a living playing a sport or even coaching a sport is something in the realm of one and one million. But my Johnny's got it, Pastor. Okay, Johnny might have. 
But I remember as a kid being very good. You can ask my parents. Some of you doubt me. I was very good at one particular sport. Very good. Yet I kept running into an intervening father. My mom's laughing. She remembers some of those conversations in the car. I'm good. Why can't I do this? Because it doesn't help your spiritual growth, Dad. Amen. I literally sometimes remember on Wednesday night making it to church because I had come from football practice. Now, that was not the sport I was good at. That was the sport I got beat up in. But I came from football practice, and I was having a shower in the back seat. I had a wet wash rag with soap on it, washing my armpits so I could make it to Wednesday night youth group in time. Because it was important to my dad. We will not miss a single service. Well, that's just nuts. Might be. Here at 45, I very much appreciate the difficult intervention my parents had to take to make sure that I didn't just walk in my own, the passion of my own lust Amen. and go my own way. The second one, letter B, is to remove that which is destructive. You must intervene not just in the things that are distractions, but the things that are, <clears throat> excuse me, destructive. You must educate your kids on things that will destroy their lives. And active, actively then remove them from their life. Let me give a list here. How many want their kids hooked on drugs? None? Nobody in here wants their child to be an addict? And I'm not mocking. I'm making a statement. Nobody wants their kid to be an addict? I got another one. I would love for my child to be involved in all sorts of immorality and promiscuity. I want them to be into everything. That's me, Pastor. That's what I want my kid to do. Hmm. Nobody? Let me give a third one. How about crime? Like a hardened criminal. I mean, I want to live the thug life. Give me a kid that's going to grow up and be that kid that's out on the street. I want him. I want Johnny's picture in the orange jumpsuit on LEX 18 at News at 4 or at 5. I want the law enforcement to come looking for him. No parents? Just checking. These are all areas that we know to teach our kids about and to intervene in when we see them. But do we? Jessica and I listened to a podcast of a pastor in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yes, a good Bible preaching, New Testament, independent Baptist church in the heart of Las Vegas, Las Vegas, Nevada. Dave Titus at Liberty Baptist Church, wonderful man, wrote a wonderful book called Hope for My Hometown. Raised in Las Vegas, planted a church. The church runs well over 700 to 1,000 members in that range. And it's a good Bible-preaching church with a good Bible-preaching school. In fact, Jessica was offered a job right out of college to go teach at their Christian school. And her dad said no so I could meet her at the school she actually did come to. But Mr. Will's like, no daughter of mine's going to Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> Dave Tice has a podcast. And on there, he had a police officer. I think the chief of police. We can't remember exactly his, his position. But he had this man come in and talk to the parents of his church. The police officer stunned the parents when an unsaved man, openly and admittedly non-believing man, said, If you've given your kids an unfettered, unlocked smartphone, you have agreed for them to engage in pornography, and you've opened them to every kind of exploitation. 
And our resident law enforcement officer that is in the building this morning is shaking his head to the affirmative. He agrees. I will not ask you to raise your hand. But I'm certain there are a whole lot of our kids. unsaved, godless man says, that's what you're, well, my kid's better than that. Can I be very blunt with you this morning? No, they're not. You're just being naive. That's what a police officer said, not a pastor. Social media and smartphones, I put those in your notes there. Social media is about popularity and conformity. Those are destructive to your child's psyche. They damage them in ways that scientists are still discovering. The human brain was not built to maintain relationships and relevance with thousands of different people at the same time. Nor, Nor were we made to keep up with the news and the events and trends on a global scale. You were not built to do that. God desired for us as a race to spread out across the planet, live within our own family, our own tribe, our own people, our own tongue, and our own nation, with some obvious overlaps here and there, but not ubiquity and universality. That's what the devil wanted. Social platforms are destructive not only to developing minds, but to deepening those minds. Just sit and listen to the language of young people today. Now, our parents spoke funny as well in the 60s and 70s. We of the 80s and 90s spoke odd, but it seems to be racing through the culture, this dumbing down of the English language. Parents, it is your job to intervene in things that are destroying your children's lives and their ability to do great things for God. This takes us to the broader discussion of smartphones. They are destructive to your kids' health. Now, I realize that if you separate, you are separated from kids for schooling or for athletics or extracurricular, that your kids may need to have a way to communicate with you. Or if your child is driving, you would obviously want to have them know where they are in the case of an emergency. Then my suggestion would be give them a... A what? Lip Somebody over here was kind enough to say, make him go to a pay phone. <laughs> a flip phone. I referenced the police officer again. I could cite you the American Psychological Association or Barner Research findings, all of which say it is not healthy for a child under 18 to have a smartphone. It is a risk to them psychologically, and I will add to it spiritually. They're right. Why? Because they've done their research. Well, in my house, it's not that way. Okay. Try taking it away from them. You want to know the real reason we parents give kids smartphones? We don't want them to be left out. We don't want them to be ostracized. We don't want them to be mocked. The reality is you are not only handing them a highly destructive tool, you are also teaching them a highly destructive lifestyle. What lifestyle, you ask? We must do and be everything that every other person or supposed modern family is and does. That's what you're teaching them. They're doing it. Why can't we? America is filled with sheep. 
In the spiritual sense, it's good to be a sheep of God's flock and pasture. In the mental sense, it's not good to be a sheep. Why are there so many keeping up with the Joneses families in our country, in our Christian culture? The answer is because it's what each generation of the family teaches the next. Jessica and I have already committed, and our boys hate this. They won't get a cell phone until they drive. We don't care if any of you agree with us or not. We warn our children to be careful around children, good kids, what they see on their phone. Because we can't control what other kids are showing them on their phone. It is my job to intervene in that which will destroy them. And I have lived a life outside of being a pastor. And I understand that that life is worthless and meaningless. But to kids raised within the Christian culture, they don't understand that. The devil is tempting them like he tempted Eve. Just try it. Finally, there should be excuse me, there should be insistence. Insistence. I was going to say intensity, but that is equally true. There should be insistence. Parents, have you ever felt like a broken record with your kids? We joyed last night. Corey and Rebecca don't know what this is. We enjoyed how they kept up with Nolan. God bless Nolan. He's an active dude. He's their youngest one. But that life stage came over last night, and Nolan was everywhere. But they were faithful. Everywhere Nolan went, no, no, turn this way. No, no, turn this way. I mean, there's times, parents, especially if their kids are under the teenager, and maybe including the teenage families, no, no, you can't do that. No, no, you can't do that. And you feel like you've said that ten bajillion times. You probably have if it were a number. (laughs) Your responsibility is to impart wisdom and understanding to your children, and that takes time and effort. Wisdom, he says in verse 7, is the principle or the chief, the main thing. Not entertainment, not athletics, not being happy. It is wisdom, how to live rightly before Almighty God. The ability to take truth, reveal truth, and apply it independently to their own lives and circumstances is what drives you as a parent forward in educating your children. That is what, why it takes so much effort. Our world collapsing today is collapsing today into mindless, moronic dribble because several generations of parents, even Christian parents, have not made wisdom the principal thing in their children's life. So in verse 13 and verse 24, we find two areas of insistence. First, letter A, an insistence upon discipline. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. There has to be a a discipline developed. Imposed discipline leads to self-discipline. And make no mistake, discipline is the one key reason for schooling and education in a young person's life. The problems facing our workforce presently in America is that many American young people are not disciplined enough to actually work. Yeah. Discipline and work ethic go hand in hand together. Factories and farms are begging for foreign labor, even for just seasonal work, because no American kids actually want to work anymore. Because their parents don't make them do the hard things. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. My kids hate it when I preach messages like this. 
My dad often wonders if he was too much of a disciplinarian with me, and the answer is no. Just right. There's a certain discipline that is required to go and finish college, but there is an equal discipline, though different, to be a faithful worker with your hands, with what one finds to do day by day. Amen. It is not that one discipline is better than the other. Some can even argue with the present state of most of the collegiate sphere in academia, it might be better to just apply yourself to disciplines with your hands. Right. What's $400,000 in debt going to do for you with an arts and science degree? That is not dismissing college or university. I win. But we've not set that down as a requirement for our kids if God leads them in a way to work with their hands. I used to say this when I was the singles pastor at the church in Virginia. To the kids that were coming out, we'd meet with them just before they would transition into singles ministry. And I would sit with them and their parents and ask them if they really felt like they needed to go to college or if they wanted to take a year and figure out why they were going to college and what they would do in college. Now, that was a different area. That was Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. Everybody had a degree, and those were the dumb people. The smart people had masters or doctorates or double doctorates or triple doctorates. But I wonder in an area like ours, why are we saddling our kids with things that do not, value, do not benefit them? Yeah. Or don't add value to their life? Yeah. We have often overinflated the college track and, and have inadvertently taught our kids that that is the only path for the disciplined mind. Not so. Amen. Verse number 18 of chapter 4 tells us the path of the disciplined mind and has nothing to do with collegiate academic learning. The path of the just is as a shining light that does what? Shineth more and more, meaning it increases. There's more and more individual discipline that is exercised in the person's life unto the perfect day. That is the mature or the completion day. That is to say they will walk a disciplined path in life until they reach maturity. Along that pathway, their disciplined choices will be evident to both mom and dad, friends and neighbors, employers, and yes, even employees. Parents, do not skip the essential step of discipline and requiring your kids to honor and obey you in discipline. Discipline begins by recognizing that there is an authority in their lives. There will always be an authority in their life. Parental authority, ecclesiastical authority, societal authority, divine authority. Discipline teaches that we honor and obey each subsequent authority, and maturity tells us which one of these will come in conflict with the chief authority, and that's divine or God. Letter B, and finally, an insistence towards diligence. In our morning devotions, often our boys will hear me pray this as I close the devotion time. Lord, help the boys to be diligent students today. Notice I don't pray that they would be smart students. Smarts come, if that's a way to say it, from daily discipline in the things that are necessary. Yeah. Oh, you may have an acumen to something, but diligence is the key. You know your kids, mom and dad. You know what a half effort in school looks like. I was a half effort kid sometimes. My mom always hates it when I beat myself up in church. But my sister was a straight-A student, and Cassie is not smarter than me. <laughs> my mom shrugged, and my dad kind of went, eh. <laughs> But she was because she applied herself. 
Yeah. I would come home with a C. That's the lowest grade I got until I got to college and I got a D in English, and I didn't tell them until I was already home. <laughs> but my dad would often say, is that your best? If it's your best, if you tried your hardest, Kyle, then I understand, he didn't say it this way, but in essence, I understand you're being diligent. But if it's not your best, then you're not being diligent. No matter how much your kids' grade scales may be tipped, you know if they're putting in the effort that is necessary. Right. <clears throat> the great crime against our children today is that we have lowered our expectations from excellence to adequate. Yeah. It is a tough task to stay on top of your children's spiritual and academic education, but it is your job as parents. It is your calling. It is your privilege, and it should be your joy. Mm -hmm. Start expecting diligence from your kids. And all that they put their hands to, and you will begin to see just how excellent they actually can be. Amen. Three verses, and I close. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. In Proverbs, that was 10 in verse 4. In 12 and verse 24, it says, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. 21 in verse 5 says, The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. But of everyone that is hasty, only to one. Yeah. So in closing, a different home will be a home focused on proper education. To educate, there must be instruction that is biblically sound and practically substantive. There must be intervention, recognizing the distractions and then removing that which is destructive. And there must be an insistence on discipline and diligence in your home. This is the heart of education. This is biblical education. This is true whether your kids are present or not present. Through the full flower of their education is seen when there is generationally biblical wisdom being passed along to the next. John said this of his spiritual children. There's no greater joy than to know my children walk in truth. Parents who have raised children the right way and watched them walk in truth know the heart of the joy that John is writing. May God give us homes that want to be different in how they educate their children. Father, help us, I pray, as we close this morning. The message has not been on salvation. Though there is no difference to a home without Christ in the home. The shape and condition of present America, present day America, I should say, is specifically because the morality and biblical standards are gone. What it's going to take to restore a nation to godliness is prayer, but also purposeful living according to the word of God. And that's going to mean some serious education. Instruction, intervention, and intense insistency to do what is right. God, give us parents like that. May we have homes this morning that would recommit. Yes, it's the beginning of summer vacation. But if we can make a commitment, bring it before our children. They have time to adjust before the school year begins in about two and a half months. God, give us men 
who will leave their homes in such a way. God, give us wives who will be partners in such an endeavor. Bless our homes. May we be different. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning as the piano plays, the invitation will be simple. And it's simply this. Are you willing to take on the role of educating your home as God wants? Are you willing to take on that responsibility? For it is a responsibility. It's work. You love your children. I love my children. This is why we do the necessary things that we need to do. In the quietness of this hour, perhaps you just pray, God help me to take up the responsibility of proper education. dismiss us with your grace but may your Holy Spirit also go with us with conviction may we think on the things that we've heard may we understand the truth and allow that truth to change us God give us homes that are different that has been the point of this series and most especially this morning bless us I pray as we depart in Jesus name so this, yeah, we might have to end this one there. Close out um, Safari. Still need to stop here at the rock. Yeah.